Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hello, I'm Jez Francis. And I'm Amelia Vegting, and welcome to this very special end-of-year episode of the Being Human podcast. Now, usually we explore, with the help of a wonderful guest, what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. But today, our producer Chris has set us a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, Chris has asked us to listen back to the 12 episodes we've done so far and Mm. pick out three highlights each. So I found going back through all the episodes a really, really enjoyable uh, experience. Yeah, Uh, me too. A brilliant reminder of all the wonderful people that we've spoken to, and I'm really really proud of what we've done together, Amelia. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There was so much richness in all the conversations that we've had. And I have to say that I feel like I have grown both personally and professionally through this. It's been, yeah, a really wonderful journey and it isn't over. No, definitely not. We're coming back with a second series of the Being Human podcast. We've got some great guests already lined up to bring Mm. you. But for now, let's just get stuck into the challenge that Chris has set us for today. So through having all of these different conversations and hearing the perspectives of all of our guests, I think I've started to notice things that I perhaps either hadn't noticed before or have started paying attention to, you know, some different things in life. The first highlight that I wanted to play was from the fabulous Neil Malarkey. Yes. Um, Neil is an actor, author, writer and comedian, and he joined us, um, it was episode seven, to share his wisdom and insights on the power of humour. Humour is dangerous if you're trying to do it as a big thing with a capital H. All I say is use the improv humour that I would say we do in the moment, just a gentle notice of what somebody's got, uh, say, in their background. You know, you can see what's in my background. I can see guitars in your background. We could just talk about that for a minute and I could say, well, Jez, you're clearly, you know, you should be, you're an axe man. You should be in Led Zeppelin or something or some more modern reference. Keep talking, Um, keep talking, keep talking. (laughs) (laughs) But you see, I could just kind of try that out, try a little story. So what I would say is you don't have to be a joke teller. Right. Uh, jokes are closed-ended. Jokes are fine, but not everyone likes a joke and they kind of stop. Whereas running humour is fun. Running jokes, mentioning what somebody else mentioned, holding up a sort of slightly exaggerated version of what you might do, a crazy idea, what, how do we solve the problem? Of course, then that opens up ideas that might be more realistic. But don't try and be a joke teller. I would say encourage the moments when laughter can happen. Mm. Be a good laugher. <laughs> Be a good laugher. Oh, go on. Then, what do you mean by that? That's that's interesting. Well, just when moments, <laughs> just like you know, we all laugh. <laughs> we <can't... laughs> okay, I was I pleading, but at a certain point, I couldn't stop myself, but you couldn't help it. So just laugh. <laughs> Allow laughter. And even if you've got a weird laugh, that's fine. Because there is something really contagious about it's laughing. I mean, contagious. I've seen I've seen those videos online of, you know, you have somebody who's laughing on the tube and you can't tell what on earth this person is laughing at. But then yeah. suddenly everybody's up in the carriage, like looking at them and, and they're all laughing as well. It is contagious that so you're right. 
It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. He's so funny. Do you think when he's talking about even if you've got a weird laugh? That's definitely aimed at me. <laughs> I just listening back to that clip just makes just makes me giggle. I know, every time. It was every wonderful. time. So listen, why did you pick that particular snippet? Well, so the reason I've chosen that clip is because um I was recently in France and I saw how being a good laugher and encouraging moments of levity can create really special moments between people. So I was in Lyon. Um, and I needed to go to the laundrette whilst I was there. So I got my bag of washing and went down early morning. And when I arrived, I realised I didn't have any washing tablets. So I started trying to read all these instructions to get the powder, which, of course, were all in French. So I think I must have been looking very confused because this elderly man came up to me, started speaking in French. And after some sort of sign language communication, he helped me get the washing powder and got my washing on. And it was 27 minutes onto the timer. Now, for the next 27 minutes, this elderly gentleman spoke to me in French, telling me all sorts of stories and just kept cracking up and laughing in between various moments. And I just laughed along whenever he did and smiled throughout. And so even though I didn't understand a word he was saying, he really seemed to appreciate the company. And I felt like I just had a really engaging conversation all through laughter, basically. And, you know, walking back to my accommodation, I felt really warm and it took me back to what Neil said. You know, humour, laughter and being a good laugher has the power to bring, you know, bring people together. You know, even if you're not speaking the same language, it is a universal experience. It's a lovely story. And I bet he also felt very warm and happy like you did when he walked back to wherever he was going with his washing. (laughs) I'd hope so. But yeah, a very memorable moment for me. Um, Jez, what did you want to share with us to start off with? My first highlight comes from episode 10 with story expert Lisa Cron. What you need in the beginning of a story to pull anybody in, there's a chemical cocktail. And this goes to business as well. This is, in fact, this chemical cocktail, I first stumbled on it reading, I think it was Paul Zak, who was doing research in, you know, if you get uh, some sort of a fundraising letter, what is it that makes people give even, you know, afterwards they read the letter and now they're actually going to. And it's a chemical cocktail. And that is of of the first one is dopamine, which I think is is often misunderstood as the pleasure hormone, but it isn't actually that. Dopamine is curiosity that you might have pleasure, you know, that you might have that an email's in and you get that, that surge of dopamine. Well, that's not the pleasure of, oh my God, I got an email. It's a pleasure of, oh my God, maybe that email is telling me I won the lottery. I didn't even join. Yeah. It's anticipation. Yeah. It's something might happen. It's curiosity. So the first is curiosity. Mm. And the way that we get that in a story is something is happening that breaks a pattern. There's some sort of a surprise. I thought one thing was going to happen and something else happened instead. So you've got that surprise. The next is cortisol, the stress hormone, one we're way more familiar with now <laughs> than we were a few years ago. Let's yeah. face it. And that's something is at stake. And the key thing, those two things are not enough. The third hormone, and this is the one that often goes missing, especially in stories, not necessarily, you know, novels or movies or whatever, but in business when you're trying to convince someone of something, or even, you know, when you're trying to convince your teen not to text and drive. And that's oxytocin, which is the empathy hormone. And Mm. we get that because someone is vulnerable. And it's that vulnerability piece that's so easy to go missing. You know, as that one student said, you know, I'm I'm inside, I'm a raging mess, and I don't want people to see it. So they will tell stories where there isn't something they don't know, 
where there isn't some sort of a, for lack of a better word, mistake that they've made or misunderstanding they've got. We need to really understand, again, in the story and what's going to pull us in, why this thing that's happened, this thing that's at stake, is really going to matter to this character. And we've sort of got some notion as to why. You get those three things, and they can be in, in a single sentence. You get those three things right there, and you've got your reader or, or you know, or your audience is is immediately hooked. It's funny. There's a, a saying you hear a lot. I think it was Coleridge who said, to get lost in a story demands a willing suspension of disbelief. Mm. And that couldn't be less true because it implies choice, right? It implies that you have that choice. You're going to go, do I want it or don't I? I don't know. When a story grabs you, you don't have any choice. It is biological. You are there. They've gone, they've done, you know, fMRI studies, you know, functional MRI studies yeah. that show when you're lost in a story, same areas of your brain light up that would light up if you're really there. I've never met someone who'd speak so passionately about story. That was really fascinating. I mean, listening back, that bit really leapt out at me. Mm. And, you know, whether you're a writer or a, a parent or a, a business leader or someone trying to sort of engage the hearts and minds of others, mm. it just struck me that it's a skill that we all have. Um, but And it can be practiced and it can be learned and it can be fine-tuned. But it's in all of us the ability to engage the minds and hearts of others. One of the things our producer Chris asked us to think about, Jez, was what's something practical or useful that we've learned this series? What episode did you think of? So I'm going to take us to episode six with Alice on the subject of creating habits. Look, I mean, that's something that we could talk about um, for hours on end, but just to, <laughs> first of all, understand something really important, which is for neuroplasticity. So for change, new mm -hmm. pathways to be embedded, you need two phases. You need an alert and focused state, sometimes even a little bit of agitation, a little bit of strain, because that releases certain neuromodulators that highlight and mark the cells for change. Then you undertake this new action, and it is that process that helps you overcome that resistance you may be feeling to change, which is because change is hard because your brain is making it hard to save energy, right? Mm -hmm. So you need that alertness, that focus. It needs to actually be a little bit difficult to mark those cells. So that's mm. the first thing I want people to understand. It is going to be a little bit tricky, but you actually want it to be to make it effective. The second stage and phase that people forget about is that you need sleep. So it's the alert focused toggling with the sleep. Your change does not occur while you're performing the action. It actually occurs and is embedded when you sleep. So what I'm getting at here is you need to undertake these two phases in repetition. And that's the key here. It's doing something consistently and repeating it. So doing the action, sleeping, doing the action, sleeping, that embeds down the new pathway. So we need to know this because we need to understand we therefore need to do something that we can consistently do on most days, right? That's the key. That was a really practical clip. I mean, there's so much in there. And that I do really remember from that episode, the whole notion of the power that sleep has in creating your new habit and that being so important was brand new, fresh information for me. Mm, that's why I chose that particular mm. highlight. It was, it was such a revelation, the importance of sleep in being able to embed new thinking, new habits, new behaviours. Have you picked up or worked on a habit with that advice from Alice since uh, we spoke to her? <clears throat> there's a loaded question. I mean, <laughs> you, so, 
<laughs> I've got so many habits that I would like to curb and so many behaviours and habits that I'd like to develop as well. It was a really practical listen. So where I've noticed this is mm. in my guitar practice. So uh, I have habitually picked up the guitar daily for a period of weeks and then put it away and not mm. touched it for months. And that's been the regular cycle for the last 30 years. So unsurprisingly, I haven't moved on. Mm. Um, what I have noticed since the discussion we had with Alice is yeah. that if I can find time to regularly practice, and it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but daily practice, daily practice and good sleep yeah. does make a difference. I have noticed an improvement. Okay, Amelia, where are we going now? Well, my practical or useful clip involved um, reframing my perception on failure, all thanks to the fantastic Eric Kessels. First of all, I think it's uh, quite good to be clear that when I'm talking about failure and also in the book that I made, it has mostly to do with uh, professional failures. Eh? So, And then not even the failures that you really uh, fuck up uh, with something, because nowadays everything is so going towards perfection and, you know, the, the computers we use, the application, the photo cameras we have, everything is there and it has a, a technological uh, top level and it doesn't make any mistake anymore. So I think it's very important to deliberately go towards a mistake in your thinking process, in the route you dare to take in your uh, mind. And then, you know, like, because... Perfection is not really a good starting point for to find new ideas and mm. to find new ways of thinking and, and new innovations. I think the imperfections and the failures are much more interesting with that. Of course, on a personal level, you know, like everybody makes mistakes and you learn from that. And uh, But that is a different thing. You know, we, we, we make mistakes on a daily basis, but to dare to go deliberately towards a mistake, that is quite uh, quite nice. I also really compare this often with uh, the front yard and the backyard of your house, you know, metaphorically, because the front yard of the house there, there is, you know, it's it's your shop window almost. You have everything in there. You uh, Everything is perfect. You like to show your front yard to the rest of the world. But your backyard is often like a mess and uh, you, you build a fence around it. People, you don't want people to look into there. But that is the place where the failures happen, where unfinished projects are, things like that. So, uh, And then when you find something and you made your failures in the backyard, yeah, you can bring them to the front yard and show them to people. He was brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was absolutely fantastic. And I think that conversation really helped me reframe how I view failure. And I think importantly acknowledging that when things are a little different to how I thought they were going to go, that I view this now as a positive thing rather than finding it annoying or viewing it negatively. Mm. I also think that Eric's analogy to sort of backyards and front yards is a really helpful one. And actually the magic is in the backyards where it's all messy and not perfect. Unfinished. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I have to say, listening back to Eric's, I did love the moment during his um, episode where he criticised your um, story. My horse, yeah. my horse story. <laughs> that yeah. was an Do you know? Highlight. Can I let you into a secret? Yeah, go on. Ever since then. Whenever never any, told it? No, <laughs> I haven't told the horse story again. <laughs> But ever since then, also, whenever anything goes wrong, I talk to myself in an Eric voice. <laughs> <laughs> One clip left, Amelia. Mm. 
Mm. Where are you going to take us? Okay, well, I'm going to break the rules ever so slightly, and I've actually got two clips from one episode. So fingers crossed Chris will, um, will let me do that. But I wanted to share the brilliant Ben Goddard um, on our episode of Creativity. I think bringing him and the piano together in the studio was for me quite a special moment. Witnessing Ben in his zone with the piano, being able to produce such beautiful pieces of music right on the fly. And of course, doing all of our boring things about me tunes that we've had towards the back end of the series. Music really is very emotional. And as someone who doesn't play a single instrument, I'm just in utter awe of his talent and seeing him play was just moving. I think if you're if you're working in the creative arts in any form, you have to be two things. You have to be open and present. Mm. I think if you are if you are looking too far ahead, you're constantly going to be putting up barriers because it's not quite fitting something you, uh, into a place that you haven't got there yet. Mm. You're, you're you're trying to force something, and equally, if you're constantly looking back, you're just going to start repeating stuff because you know it worked. So you have to be present, and then you have to be open to um, suggestion and to other ideas and you have to be sometimes you just have to go and just think uh, that didn't sound good but <laughs> but actually that can quite quickly come come into something makes it sound so easy doesn't I know, it I'm so <laughs> but, but, jealous it's but, but that but that but that is kind of how it goes you can just just play and I guess it started with me. If we go way back to when I was a very, very small kid, yeah. I my brother was um, was playing on the recorder, um, and he was he was a, he's a couple of years older than me, so he was about four or five, and I was so two or three ish, and um, I picked up the recorder and just I loved it. I just blew it. I made a horrible sound, but I loved the sound that it made, and so my parents thought, let's get him a because I wouldn't put it down. And said, so let's get him a, a, a recorder teacher. There was a family living up the road from us who were having recorder lessons. So they put us in touch with this amazing teacher called Anne Murray, who as a teaching a three-year-old, yes, you have to learn the notes, but she, from the very, very start, would always ask me how it made me feel. Mm. Now, that is, um, I think, quite rare. So I, whatever I do musically it is yes it's a technical experience and yes you can write academically and i know how it all works but none of it matters unless it makes you feel something mm. none of it matters at all unless it's part of a story and there's an emotional drive behind it oh it was fantastic wasn't it the combination of both his amazing insights into creativity and his glorious piano playing mm. um, made for a very special conversation and I think that as well as his stunning playing, this is where I'm going to cheat a little bit and try and put in a second clip, Ben's message of being open and present, you know, applies to so much more than just the creative arts. It's a totally invaluable lesson in being mindful of what's going on around you and kind of building on what Eric said, actually, you know, leaning into your mistakes and seeing what else you can notice. And Ben did actually share a little bit of advice for improving your creativity in your everyday, which is something that I've actually practiced doing. Recently, I've been commuting in and out for a job in town and, and I live about half an hour out from uh, Waterloo. So I've been doing that kind of classic commuter thing. And I think if you just wake up, check your phone, have a shower, have breakfast, check your phone, get on the train, check your phone. Um, I, I just think you can miss so much. Mm. And I think being creative is about being open and present. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I just see so many people and 
believe me, I get it. Mm. I get it. They're going in. They're going in for some a tough day of proper work, not the nonsense I do, but proper work. <laughs> and they, you know, they've got meetings. And they're going to have things. They just want a bit of numbness for their brain, so that they that's going to make. But I, I would counter that, saying actually, if you're constantly just looking at other stuff and and faff and nonsense and TikTok, which is you know marvelous in many ways, but it is chewing gum for the brain. Um, I just just look up and and look what's around you. Look at another person. So actually, sort of create a story about what they're doing in their lives. That's my personal favourite. Kind of <laughs> look at what are they doing? Where have they come from? What have they said? You know, um, are they married? Have they got children? Blah blah blah. How do you, and just trying to sort of Sherlock Holmes them a bit and sort of I wonder where they've come from and you know why are they so cross. So I actually, my boyfriend and I play this on the train now all the time, giving people little stories of where they are. But you have to make sure you don't do that too loud so that they realise you're talking about them. When I was training all those years ago for that ridiculously long walk I did with some friends, we, mm. would, we would walk past people and you'd just catch snippets of their conversations. Oh, yeah. And it was a great starter to think about who they are. So I said to Darren, absolutely <laughs> And you'd finish and it that's off. All, that's all you'd hear. <laughs> and then you'd create a story around these wonderful people, yeah. Jez, over to you for your final highlight. I'm going to take us all the way back to episode three when we caught up with performance coach Owen Eastwood. My father was half English and half Maori, the indigenous people of New Zealand. He has an only child. As I mentioned before, he passed away very suddenly when I was five. He was only 41. And... I had three siblings, and as we all grew up, my siblings seemed to be able to create an identity story for themselves, which was pretty serviceable. I never did. Um, And I I just felt like I'm part English, part Maori, but I have no connection to either of them. Um, I'd even watched the All Blacks do the haka on the television, and I should have felt a lot of pride about that because it's a Maori ritual. But because I didn't have a connection and didn't really feel I belonged to that tribe, it actually just made me feel uncomfortable. So as a young teenager, I was very uncomfortable with myself and I wasn't very confident at all. I felt like uh, lost. I felt lost. So when I was 12, I wrote a letter to the Maori tribe, probably a bit of an act of desperation, but I just explained this is my father and this is his mother. My grandma Rose was a Maori. And do you know who I am? And they and they did. They wrote the most beautiful letter back to me saying, we know who you are and you belong here and gave me a list of my ancestors back a thousand years, even though we only had a written language in the 1800s when the missionaries arrived. It's all through oral history wow. and storytelling. And they told me the stories of them. Interestingly, they picked out as the most inspirational ancestors woman. My grandmother uh, five generations ago in particular was the force of nature and they told me the stories of her. And that that I remember as a 12-year-old receiving a letter which said directly that you belong here and it was a feeling of complete euphoria. Again, it might sound corny, but whether it's someone coming into the England football team, someone at the Royal Ballet School, whatever it is, I want everyone to have that feeling of people looking you in the eye, having a big smile on their face and say, you belong here and we care about you. It's an incredible mm. place to be as a human being. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So when you tell that story, does it take you back to that moment when you received that letter? The way mm, you're saying it, it is quite um, powerful and very emotional. Emotive, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It does. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to, to occasionally get asked to speak and and I 
often share that story and I quite often will be tearful when I tell it because it, that is a massive moment in my life. It changed my whole identity narrative, but also, you know, now that I'm a coach, it's the absolute backbone of my coaching. Uh, maybe why I'm a bit different and maybe why I get sought after by, you know, quite conventional and teams is that they're looking for something unconventional and they understand that belonging is a very emotional part of our existence and it's not an academic dry subject. I saw you smiling listening back to that. Do you like it? Yeah, it was really powerful conversation with Owen. He's one of the most emotionally present people mm. I've ever had the chance of of meeting. I just find that a really, really moving and inspirational story. Um, it makes me think, you know, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as an uncle, as a brother, you know, a friend, a colleague, yeah. am I doing enough to make the people that are part of all of those groups feel that they belong? I have to say it was extremely difficult to pick only six moments from across the series for this Highlights episode. It was really hard, wasn't it? Really hard. Uh, look, I'm so grateful to all the people who made their time available to talk to us and to help us learn more about ourselves and each other and the world we live in. And of course, all 12 episodes are available to listen to right now wherever you get your podcasts from. The Being Human podcast from Just Add Water will be back for a second series. We're really excited about it and we look forward to bringing you more fascinating, insightful and hopefully helpful conversations. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or you want to talk to us about the work that we do at Just Add Water, then please do get in touch. Meanwhile, thank you for listening. Enjoy the holidays and we'll speak to you in the new year. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance, forging collective strength. It was really difficult, wasn't it? Yeah, very difficult. Sorry, can you start again, Vegas? Sorry. <laughs> I was looking for you. And there was nothing there. I was like leaning on air. Uh, How to admit this is the first time you've got this far down the document. No, 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 no. <laughs> Rumbled. Can I have a lawyer, please? <laughs> um, okay, Jez, final clip um, to wrap up this episode. What, what are you going to give us? <laughs> That was terrible. <laughs> I can't do these bits on the I, on the fly. Give us. <laughs>